Okay, guys, I'm so excited to do this because I think you two have done monumentally well with Medics Money. And I guess we're here to celebrate you guys reaching 1 million downloads on the podcast. So firstly, congratulations. I think from the outside, this can look super, super easy. People can just look at you and think, oh, these guys just put out blog posts. They just put out podcasts in their spare time. And you might not always appreciate all the behind the scenes work it takes and all the difficulty that comes with it. But I think I do appreciate that. I'm Musti. I run the Big Picture Medicine podcast. I'm a doctor by background. And now I work at a healthcare startup called Cohelm. But I really am excited to use this opportunity for your listeners and actually just selfishly myself to find out the method to the madness, find out all the things you've done to grow medics money, all the decisions you've made. And I think there'll be like a lot of learnable points from that. So the first thing I wanted to throw over to you guys was what has been the special source behind Medics Money? What have been the key decisions you've made that you think have made it into a success? Yeah, that's really kind of you to say. And obviously, it's a pretty big landmark for us reaching a million downloads. I don't think we ever, in our first month, I look back, we got 12 uh, listeners and uh, at least two of them are me, probably Ed's mum, the other two. <laughs> so let's just call it eight in the first month. But that's uh, that was a while ago now. That was about three years ago. So the secret source, I think like... When I think about why we started Medics Money, really it was because both of us had struggled with our finances a bit. So me especially, because I went to med school, first doctor in my family, just normal working class family. I just had insane debts when I graduated and I thought doctors were well paid because when I was at uh, my, I went from high school, I went to a high school when we moved there, it was really rough. And one of my friends, her dad was a doctor. And when we got to this rough school, her dad, just started off to private school. And I was like, wow, doctors must be like really rich. And then when I got my first paycheck, I was like, something's not quite right here, like the debt <laughs> versus what I was earning. So yeah, I struggled for a long time, my finances, but eventually I learned and got good at it. And I started helping other people in a kind of informal way. And I think that's probably why it's been so useful because we solve a real problem, which actually all doctors have now, which is that we've all had a savage real terms pay cut over the last 10 years. So all doctors have to make make the most of what they're given. And then I think as well, like a big mover of the needle was bringing Ed on board because I learned like the hustle side of skills, but Ed has got the actual real bona fide technical accountant and tax advisor skills. Yeah, so no humility from you, please. Can you <laughs> go into as well, like a little bit of your background and also the special source? Like what have you done right that's made medic money, Medic's Money grow? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, Tommy always, often makes me say this because I often won't won't say this, but I am a, a chartered accountant as well as a chartered tax advisor and now uh, a salary GP down on the South Coast. So for me, I've already got that kind of financial background. I, I was I did my tax exams, I did my accountancy exams, all these many exams before I then did my medical school exams. And it just meant that I do have that financial background and I'm incredibly lucky to have that because it's quite clear that a lot of doctors, most doctors don't really get any kind of financial teaching or training whatsoever. And it was quite clear going through medical school, even when I was like volunteering to try and get into medical school, it was quite clear that people, and again, I've come across people that clearly didn't have much financial knowledge at all. Why would they have? They're not really taught anything at all. So I think for, for us, part of the, the special source, I'd say, is, is the fact that we have, we are lucky to have that kind of financial knowledge as well. Uh, as being doctors, we can then bring both to the table uh, and try and help out our, our colleagues. And as Tommy said, we had a we saw there's a problem, lack of kind of financial knowledge and education. 
our solution is to try and utilize my knowledge and try and help people to, uh, to bridge that gap. So the actual problem, just thinking about it a bit more, is like we're pretty grassroots and we still are. And I guess that's one thing that we've done recently, which is to get back to our roots, because it's been a while since me and Ed were medical students, as you may notice from our appearance. And we've started a whole new thing for, so we've got a load of medical students now working on a brand new podcast called What Medical School Doesn't Teach Us, uh, because that is just a way to stay close to your roots. And I think staying close to the roots has been really important. Super short feedback loop. So I work with doctors all day, every day, and I see the struggles that they go through. Then me and Ed sit down and go like, how can we solve this problem for them? So we, our, our feedback loop is as short as possible. Sometimes the feedback loop is directly from a problem that we're having with finances. So I think that helps. Uh, but honestly, the main thing that's helped is support from the profession. Like with everybody listening to this and sharing it with their friends and telling their friends about this, there would just still be 12 listeners and me and Ed just sat around talking to uh, amongst ourselves about financial problems we have. So massive thanks to our listeners and anyone who's ever shared it really, because yeah, without them, none of this would happen. And it would just be me and Ed sat around chatting like we used to, but without mics. Yeah. I want to double click on this content idea or this content direction you've gone in where you make need to have content, not nice to have content. I think that's very important because the way you're describing it, to be honest, someone might listen to that and be like, oh yeah, I get that. That's very typical sort of startup or business advice, which is like solve a real problem. But I think it's worth emphasizing because a lot of people, when they start these kinds of journeys, when they try and build a media empire, a content empire, anything like that, or even a business, they can very often just go out and make something that they think is cool. I've had this in my personal experience where I just focus on say, consumer health, what's cool in the news right now. And that's great, but fundamentally, it's very unlikely to give you a successful outcome, at least from a financial point of view. And I want to just double click on that decision that you guys made and just ask you, was that like a very intentional decision in the way that I'm describing where you guys are like, from the get go, you're like, one day this needs to make money. So therefore it needs to solve a very real problem. Not only a real problem, but a problem that people will pay for. I'm not just going to go out and make random videos on the gallbladder one week and then on the heart the other week. I'm going to solve a real problem that people will want to give me money for. Was that intentional? Basically, when it came to the actual content, what we did was we really started with the kind of the most important stuff that we could think of that, that doctors needed. So if you think about what we were seeing our colleagues were not understanding or worried about or having trouble with, it's quite clear that a lot of people didn't realize that they could claim tax relief on their employment expenses. And also a lot of people were having difficulties with their, their tax codes, which are changing constantly. And a lot of people were getting quite frustrated about. The point is that first of all, we started off by providing content that we knew would be like really important for, for doctors to have. How to claim your expenses, how to get your tax code checked and how to get it changed if it, if it goes wrong. And then, and then after that, we began to expand into other things that we thought would help, like how to claim national insurance if you've overpaid it or how to understand that the ridiculous NHS payslip and so on. So because of the actual content that we're providing in that sense, of that point of view, it was you know, what are the main problems? We'll start with that and we'll keep expanding and expanding. But we also realized that people didn't really know where to go to get the best advice on their finances. That's one thing we saw as a big problem. How, who do you know which accountant to go to if you have a problem? How do you know if they're going to actually understand the needs of doctors? So we went about finding uh, the best specialist medical accountants, later on specialist medical IFAs, mortgage advisors, etc., that we believed would be uh, best suited to help doctors in the UK get the best advice. I guess everything was started off very slowly and deliberately working out where we saw 
problems, finding a solution to it and then moving on. Yeah. And I think like one thing to your point, Musty, about we never do clickbait. We just deliver value. Me and Ed are naturally quite shy. We're not really into like social media. We don't maintain an active social media presence ourselves. But we just want to help our colleagues to improve their finances. So we don't do clickbait. We just do like useful things. Occasionally, we put a clickbait title on our YouTube videos, but that's just a YouTube game, right? And I think we also try and stay in our lane. Like I, like you, I'm interested in health tech and loads of things, really. But we try to stay in our lane, which is why we branched out the second podcast, because that's going, <laughs> that's got no lane. Done like 11 episodes. When you've only got 11 episodes, you can meander around wherever you want. But yeah, we try to stay in our lane. And if we make something, we just think, is this useful to a doctor? Does this solve a problem for a doctor? And if it doesn't, we don't really write it. So what's your sort of advice to doctors and maybe other even other content creators, clinicians who have that kind of fear of getting started? They're like, ah, I don't really have many skills. I don't know a lot. Because by the way, the advice can be maybe you shouldn't make content if you don't know anything. And that's perfectly acceptable advice. But what's what kind of thing do you say to that person? Yeah, I don't know about Ed, but personally, I never get over the fear, really, at all. Like I said, we're quite shy, naturally. This is like way outside our comfort zone, but we're here doing it because we love helping our colleagues to improve their finances. And so I think that's why we're here. So I think like, it's a cliche, isn't it? But just get started is you just got to try it. And once you get started, you can read books, you can listen to podcasts, but You've just got to start because that's how you learn. And that's a bit uh, counterintuitive to doctors because as doctors, we train for years and years before we even set foot in or touch a patient, do anything. Whereas if you're building a business, you need to overcome that. You need to reverse that cycle. And it's not quite move fast and break things, which is like the cliche Zuck comment, isn't it? But you just got to get started. And then you're like, the thing is, everyone say, oh, Medics Money is so successful. You don't see all the things that we try and then put in the bin because they don't work. And then everyone focuses on your wins. But yeah, like I said, our podcast had 12 downloads in the first month. But most of those 12 people listened for most of the episode. And we were like, maybe we're onto something here. We'll get into month two. Wow, we've got a thousand downloads. And look, people are like leaving us reviews and everything. Okay, I think this is working. But yeah, you never get over the fear of starting. Certainly, I don't. And every time we start a new project, <laughs> I think we deliberate way too much. Ed's nodding his head here. But yeah, you never get over it. But my message is be like, get started, learn on the job. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. And it's like the reverse of what you're taught in med school, which is train for five years before you even think about going near a patient. Yeah, just to say, just to agree with Tommy, yeah, there definitely was quite a bit of fear right at the very start. Um, I remember having to, we had to take out a, a bank loan to get out a get our website going, and we had to sign like all these like personal guarantee forms and all sorts of things. And I think I was a I was an F two at that time, thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be a what if this all goes wrong? But I know it sounds it's going to sound really cliche, but if you've got a solution to a problem and you're excited, you're passionate about it, just like Tommy says, it's just get started. There's all that excitement and passion. You pour that into your your project chances are it's going to succeed and fingers crossed it will yeah okay and but let's be real here you're mentioning that the motivation was around helping doctors fix their finances or improve their finances and i respect there's actually a big motivator and that that is a good reason to do something but tell me about the other motivations because i think a lot of doctors there's like a push and a pull right there's a big push factor where doctors sometimes aren't satisfied with what they're achieving in the day or maybe not unlocking the higher levels of their creativity and business acumen. So there could be that factor. 
There's also just a thing about wanting to make a lot of money, wanting to be financially set. Were any of those things part of the motivation that made you start Medics Money? Yeah, I think for me, I really struggled in those early years of my career. And I got to a position where I was all right for money. I'd had some investments that had done okay. I'd saved a load of money. And then I was just thinking about myself 10 years ago. And I was looking around thinking, still no one is helping people like myself 10 years ago. Still medical schools consider a one-hour sales pitch from a poorly trained commissioned salesperson to be financial education, yeah? <laughs> We've still got royal colleges that are recommending restrictive financial advisors purely because that restrictive financial firm is paying them. And if you're not aware of why restrictive financial advice is a problem, it's like independent advisors that are duty bound to get the best deal for you on the market. And there's restricted who are not. And we've got all colleges recommending restricted financial advisors. And it's just, like, oh, that is crazy. So for me, if we were here for the money, we would have given up a long time ago <laughs> because giving tons and tons of content away for free in the early days, definitely not a recipe for financial success. But that being said, when we started, me and Ed were really clear that we gave ourselves two years. And in those two years, we wanted to be able to make enough money from Medics Money so that we could drop a session of work as a doctor, because otherwise it was not going to be sustainable. Like a passion project, it will burn out, like your passion will wane. So that was our goal. And I actually remember when we hit that goal and it was like a great day in my life, but also a terrible day in my life because I've been, I've been on call all day. I was getting absolutely slammed. And it's one of those on-call days where you don't even have time for a drink. And I got home and I went for a wee and I was just like, oh my God, there's like syrup coming out. Like I need to get a drink. And then I looked into my next money and I was just like, damn, the algorithm and the automations that we built two years ago has just earned more than I did as a doctor today. And I was like, wow, that's, that's our goal right there. And then, but in other ways, it was really disappointing because I was just like, I've been slogging my guts out all day helping people like save literally saving lives and then i get home and the algorithm has done better than me but then that was yeah and that didn't happen again for another month and then in the next month we had two or three days where that happened and it built up so you're totally right like you got to be realistic about it but i think if we were here for the money we would have done something different to be perfectly honest with you but like for me i've just been at st george's today as you may know i had a really bad accident on my hand and i was like laying in a and e trauma call and one of the uh, a and e consultants was like Oh my God, I love your podcast. It's helped me so much. And I was just like, I don't care about the money. I don't care about a million downloads. Just feedback like that is amazing. And, and something really strange happened to me after about a year of the podcast. I was walking down the road with my wife and someone leaned out their car window and were like, it's Dr. Tommy Perkins. I love your podcast. And my wife was just like, who was that? I was like, I don't know. She was like, what is going on? I was just like, I don't know. So the feedback that we get from our colleagues really helps. But yeah, if it's going to be sustainable, there has to be a business model underlying it. Uh, definitely. So that I'm both happy and sad that no one shouted out, out their window at me to say, oh, it's, it's Dr. Ray Cantelo. But uh, maybe that's still to come. You never know. Um, I'd say I agree with everything that, that Tommy said, basically. But I, I would say, and this is purely personal to me, um, another thing that I would love about Medics Money from a personal perspective is it does mean that I feel like I'm getting the best of both worlds. I'm a doctor and an accountant, and I'm using both skills to help people uh, and, and do what I do. And I also it helps me keep my skills as an accountant as well. Because if I I spent nine years as an accountant and a tax advisor, and I don't want to use, lose those qualifications. So for me, it helps me keep those skills as well. Keep the extra letters after my name, which is, as Tommy knows, it's all important. Need more letters after my name. Yeah, he's got a lot more letters after me than than I do, which I'm totally over, to be honest. My my postnomials are longer, but that's only because, yeah, it's yours about. Tommy, you're the beauty and Ed's the brains, I think. That's why I took away from this. 
Happy um, with that. <laughs> we're both happy with that. <laughs> I want to talk to you guys about this concept of hype cycles and just the sort of zeitgeist that I've seen develop over the past few years in the content creation sphere. And I think there's been this movement definitely that I've subscribed to and fell in love with, which is around just go at it alone, start your own thing, start making your own content and everything else will follow. Build your own distribution and then you will be able to, off the back of that, monetize that and live this sort of amazing post-economic digital vagabond type lifestyle because you'll just be pulling in money in your sleep because your content's doing so well. And I just want to get your very honest perspectives on whether you think that sort of belief is realistic for most people. You two have this confirmation bias because you two have actually achieved it. But I think most people I've seen try it have not achieved it. So what are your thoughts on that? When do I get to live this vagabond lifestyle of just doing nothing in, all day? Yeah, I, I'm not sure we have achieved it, but yeah. Okay, so I guess like some of our audience might not be even aware, but there are a lot of doctors now creating content online. I guess like Ali Abdal is probably the most famous famous example of this. And think. there is a lot of confirmation bias. I think like how I think about this is audience size does not equal audience quality, right? So you might have a million subscribers, but if there are a million uh, teenagers uh, and you're interested in talking about finance for high net worth individuals, that's just a mismatch, isn't it? So uh, size isn't everything is what I'm saying. Uh, I think it's about <laughs> the quality of the audience um, there. I also, YouTube in particular is like incentivized to sell you like the hype cycle, like I'm a YouTube millionaire. If you're making really niche content like we are, the, uh, the way that YouTube monetized just doesn't work, okay? So I think we've done over 100,000 hours of view time on YouTube now. We're pretty small on YouTube, but we've, we just started it. We love starting new things. And for that, I think we made 88 pounds, right? Because our content is really niche. But if you think about that 88 pounds, the people that are watching our audience are probably really high value people. They're probably really educated. They're probably like above average wealth. So the, the traditional ways of monetizing don't always work in my view and so then you're like okay what to do and like you said if you've got a massive audience you've got distribution which is amazing that's what any company wants like they want access to an audience and distribution but in order to capitalize on that distribution you need to have a product that your audience wants and that is sustainable to deliver and to be honest i think that's probably something that we've we built the audience first and then start to build out the products which i guess that's the right way to do it but yeah, I think if you're looking at like Ali Abdal and he's making 4 million a year, he has done amazingly well. He is an outlier. There's plenty of people that are not doing that. Do you need a massive audience to make that amount of money? Absolutely not. But I think you need to get the right value audience. And then to your point about different audiences on different channels, what we say is don't build your farm on rented land. So at the start, we were like, let's just try a little bit of everything. So we tried social media, right? Because that's what everyone's doing. And then we had email on the go as well. And we were like, like, our social media is absolutely getting killed. Like our email is amazing. and Our social media is rubbish. And then no one was talking about email. Email wasn't cool. So we were like, let's just push on email because if you've got a million followers, the algorithm might only show your content to 10,000 of them. Whereas I've, if I've got 50,000 50, email subscribers, which I do, 
if you write a good enough quality email, most of those people are going to open it. The, the incentives are aligned. Don't build your farm on rented land, which is why we like podcasts, because we own that audience. We, we release a podcast and people choose whether or not to listen to it. No algorithm decides whether to serve them that content. We like email for the same reason. We think we like YouTube, but it's early days and we're just not very good on like Instagram. Someone else does our Instagram for us now and they do an amazing job, but me and Ed, we don't even know how to do a post on Instagram, which we probably shouldn't admit. We, we tried it once and I put a link in it and our, our Instagram guy was like, why did you put a link in? You can't put links in. I was like, what? You can't put links on Instagram. I was like, I'm out of here. Left it to them. <laughs> I've never actually been on Instagram, I have to be honest. And also, by the way, Tommy, it was £67, not £88. So even less money from YouTube. But one day, one day, one day we'll get that vagabond digital life lifestyle. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Even though we'll never get there, because I, I don't know how many subscribers we've got, Tommy, on YouTube, but it's in the low thousands. I've said for I've seen quite a lot of YouTubers get like those silver play buttons, little, little awards at a hundred thousand. I would really love to get one of those mm. one day, but I can't see that ever really happening for us. To have to be honest, maybe one day. I think the beauty as well of your channel is, or, or Medics Money in general, is that not only do you have a high value audience, you also have high intent audience. They want to do something. They want to fix their finances, whether that means signing on with an accountant or getting some tax advice or pension advice, et cetera, which is actually another key part of it all. I do think there is a risk of building a sort of useless audience, as you described, like you can go really viral sometimes and not have much to show for it, which is a real danger. And it almost comes with all the negative aspects of all the fame. Tommy, I know you get shouted at uh, on the street and stuff, but at least you're making a bit of cash as well. Whereas if you just get the, if you just get the fame and you're not making cash, that's the worst way to be. Yeah. And like, to your point, I think we have, like, we're on TikTok just because we're never afraid to try new things. And I think it's a disaster TikTok for us. But actually, <laughs> we've got like, we had a, vi a viral video, which had uh, three quarters of a million views, but it was basically people just arguing about stuff in the comments, basically the Senate viral. So I think, yeah, we like audiences, like don't build your farm on rented land. It's not popular for everyone, but we, we love email. Like email is still our go-to channel. Our website gets about three quarters of a million page views a year. And we just like the podcast. And I think that's probably one thing that we, if we were to take this really seriously, we'd have to do things that we don't like to do. But me and Ed never really do things that we don't like to do. So you really should be on Instagram doing Instagram lives. It's, I don't understand Instagram. I don't want to do it. And our guys like, you got you. We're like, no, we don't. We're just going to stick with podcasting. So I think, yeah, we just keep doing, we just do it because we love it. So yeah, don't know. What do you think? Because there are a lot of creators out there building these massive audience. And I just look at their audience and I'm just like, where's this going? I hope you've got a plan here. I think you could build a massive audience, which is just not aligned with your goals and aspirations. And it's like vanity metrics is what we call it, which is probably a bit harsh, but it's, yeah, you need to have an audience that no one trusts you and that you've delivered value to in the past. And if you just go viral on TikTok and get a million people that have a vast range of interests and are not really interested in you, not sure how useful that is. So yeah, maybe it's because we've only got like 3000 YouTube subscribers that we're saying, no, it's not about size. But when we've got a million, we'll be like, yeah, size is everything, man. Absolutely. In terms of when you two have been building Medic's money, I, you've been grafting insanely hard, firstly. It, I, and I don't mean to say this in a patronizing way, but I just do a podcast. And for me to put out a weekly episode, that's at least a day and a half of work, at least. For you to have multiple channels, podcast, newsletter, blogs, YouTube, that is an insane amount of work. And I don't think, I think it takes a trained eye to be able to even appreciate that, like how difficult that is. You will wake up on days and just not feel like 
creative or feel like you've got anything to say and you still have to deliver you still have to be like the postman every day so firstly that is insanely difficult but my question to you is a part was it a case that you just kept on putting graft in every day and you slowly kept on growing over time or were there particular inflection points like times where you did something particularly good and that really skyrocketed your growth yeah the bad news is there's no shortcuts there's no like magic inflection point it's just a combination of things so at the start for the first 18 months in my view it was completely unsustainable we would literally be doing full-time medicine and then we'd meet up after a long day and try and do some medics money. Actually, the funniest thing that happened there was we went to pitch a Royal College who were thinking that they were going to help us. Ultimately, they totally didn't. But anyway, we're not bitter <laughs> about that because we built it ourselves anyway. But Ed we, was we on nights in A&E. <laughs> and so I, I met him at the station. He came straight from the A&E shift. We got to London and he was basically like a dribbling mess. And I was like, oh, this is really bad. So I went to Nero at Euston Station. I was like, I need a quadruple shot latte. They're like, we don't do quad shots. I was like, all right, I need a double shot latte and two shots on the side. I put them all in one thing, a load of sugar. And then it was like, that's going to take about 40 minutes to get into Ed's system. So I'll give it to him like, like now, and then he'll hit peak. And then we went to the presentation. He was on fire. And then he basically collapsed into an arrhythmia mess at the end of it. So it wasn't sustainable. Tons of hard graft went in. But I think one thing that we've always tried to do is we won't open up a new channel until we feel like one channel is going in a sustainable way. So we started off with emails and we built that up. And then when we got 25,000 emails, we were like, we're getting tons of speaking invites that we can't do. What is the solution to that that scales? The solution to that that scales is to do a podcast. We're reaching like 40, 50,000 doctors a month on this podcast now, which is crazy. And we just could not fit in the time to go and fulfill all the speaking invites that we got. And then once the podcast was going, okay, we're like, okay, we're going to have to do YouTube. I didn't want to do YouTube because it feels scary being on your face on TV. And so we've started YouTube as well. And that's going on. So, yeah, there is no secret sauce. I think consistency, of course, is most people give up too early. And that's where the passion comes in. Because if we were just here for the money, we would have given up a long time ago and gone back to doing like A&E Lakeums or something. But yeah, no, no real big inflection points. Probably like for me personally, the two or three big inflections were, I remember when we got to 100 email subscribers, and I was just like, wow, a hundred people like are opening <laughs> our things. And, 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 then, and then someone unsubscribed, we went back to 99. <laughs> uh, it took us like four weeks to get to hundred again, but like, wait, we're back to hundred. And of course, with 50,000 active subscribers now, it's a different ball game. But yeah, that was a big inflection point. The day when we earned enough that we could spend more time on medics money and less time being doing medicine, that was a big day. And then I think like maybe like recently with, having so much contact with healthcare professionals uh, because of my injury and just people coming up. Someone came and sorted out my, I had a nerve block in my arm and it was really painful. And they came along, sorted it out completely. And then they were like, by the way, love your podcast. And I was just like, <laughs> wow, like this is just like the, the, the best reward ever. So what motivates me is that we're helping amazing people that help patients like me every day. And if we can just make their financial lives a bit easier, then I'm pretty happy with that, to be honest. Can you touch a little bit on having multiple channels and how you might think of prioritizing them in different ways? And if I just zoom in on that, you've given the example of not moving on to a new channel until the former one is sustainable and you've got an existing workflow. But I'd be particularly interested in one in terms of how you think of experimenting when you see a new channel, because that is a significant amount of work. It's not free and it can distract you a lot. So do you have any particular way in which you weigh that up? 
And then secondly, one thing I personally really struggle with is actually just choosing to outsource or delegate or it's a bit tricky sometimes when you are creating something that you're really proud of to give it to someone else and let them have a crack at it and you think it's not going to be as good as if I did it. So I've really struggled with that. So yeah, I'd be interested in A, like how you pick channels uh, and what to prioritize and then B, also how you think about delegation and outsourcing. Yeah, should I take that in reverse? Because in terms of outsourcing your editing and stuff, like your the production of your podcast and your visuals and stuff is just amazing. And it's clear <laughs> that you're really passionate about that. Uh, me and Ed hate editing, but we are passionate about giving out really good, actionable and accurate advice. So once we're happy that the advice is good and accurate, I'm totally chill with someone editing it and putting their own creative slant on it. And we have an amazing team of editors that support us and they've got a bit of work to do with this episode here. But so that's that kind of how we think about that. And if you're thinking about growing, like scaling, and we have been thinking about scaling, uh, yeah, having quadruple shot lattes just so you can attend a meeting after a shift, that's cool and all, but that is not sustainable. And so you're going to have to delegate some stuff. And then you've got to think, okay, where's my skill set? And what am I good at? What am I not good at? And anything you're not good at, it can be painful to admit it, but just delegate that away and then focus on the stuff that you're good at. And that's all you've got to do really. But yeah, so that's how we think about delegation. And just to reiterate, it was just me and Ed back in the day, but now we've got, got an amazing team around us. We've got our Christmas party next week. I'm not going to tell you where it is because it might get gatecrashed, but there's, I think we've got like 10 or more people coming, like, which are all people that work with us. So we're so grateful for that. And then in terms of picking channels, I think we do what we think we're best at. So I think we're best at the email game and written. And then, so we started with that and... It felt a bit swimming against the tide, like I said, because everyone was on social media saying social media is so great. And we were like, yeah, we're going to build an email list. And they're like, <laughs> you fools. See you later. So we did that. And then I guess like the podcast, it was not natural for us, but it turned out to be an okay channel for us, definitely. And then once that's going, we're like, okay, what do we need to do to get YouTube going? One thing that we really struggle with, I know Ed does as well, is like perfectionism. Like we back in the day, we just didn't do anything unless it was perfect. And recently, I think we've just got a bit more, we've let go of control. Like I've not really been on our TikTok or Instagram, but I know that the content information is high. And then the creative, I'm totally happy to delegate that because I'm not very good at it. And neither Zed, no offense, mate. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, none, none taken to be honest. It's definitely not my forte. So yeah, my forte is more in the creating the content than anything to do with editing. So I'm very grateful that we've got these wonderful people that can do it for us because I just wouldn't have a clue. The other thing is, I think we also, just to say again, I think we did, obviously email was a huge thing for us. Podcast came about later. I think partly the podcast came about because of the whole, cause obviously the COVID situation, we couldn't really reach an audience face-to-face. For us, it was qu- quite handy being able to get our message out, talk to people, but via, via the podcast, which we could do online. We also, and I don't know what the the reason rationale was for this, and maybe Tommy might know, but we also, Facebook, we started on that. I think that was the the first thing we did as well after email then facebook then podcast but again we weren't overly i don't go i've got a facebook page i don't really go on it very much so again we began to ask the people to help with that as well but yeah definitely facebook is something we've focused on at the start i'm really glad that you brought up the story about the quadzilla cappuccino or latte because i've long had this belief that when people might come up to people like you and ed And they might say like, how do you do it all? And what productivity hacks do you have? And what systems do you have? And kind of the questions I'm asking you to, right? Or they might even ask questions like, how do you stay motivated and all of this? And I think fundamentally, if you 
want to get it done and you enjoy it, you'll just make it work, right? Ed might have had A&E nights, but ultimately it was more important to him to come and record this podcast with you than do anything else in the world, including sleep. So I think that's something that I note from you guys, that I think there is just like a raw drive and passion and that anything that may be looking for the special source or the growth hacks, maybe it's not the right way to go. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's like how many cliches are we going to drop in one podcast here? But I think we work smart, not hard by by what I and any doctor, right? So many doctors have an amazing transferable skill set. Like we have no business background or anything. We've never done a podcast. We've never done a YouTube, but we've never written an email. We don't know these things. We just learned on the go. But what you do have is the ability to analyze data. And all of these platforms, your email platform, YouTube gives you a ton of data. And so with the podcast, like I said, literally, we launched it, we got 12 listeners in the first month, but then we looked at like the retention, which is how long people listen to. And we're like, wow, people listen to us for 35 minutes talking about like tax codes. I was like, okay, let's go again. And then it's, oh, we did one about entrepreneurship really early. We did one about entrepreneurship and it absolutely bombed. And we were like, probably not going to talk about that again. And so you've got an analytical mind as a doctor or healthcare professional. And if you retrain that mind into another sort of domain, you can make progress faster, I would say, than like we're scientists, basically, like you, me, Ed, scientists, we analyze data. And if it's not working, we stop the experiment and, and, and run a new one like ASAP. So, yeah, we don't really back in the day, we just couldn't afford to run blind experiments. We had to see like uh, an impact, which is why we went for email and totally binned off social media. Now, of course, we've got a bit more uh, spare resources and so we can afford someone to run our instagram and our tiktok but honestly like we might bin off our tiktok like it, it's not great for us we get tons of reach tons of engagement but no one's really i can't teach you anything meaningful doing a dance in 30 seconds on tiktok i want you to read a long email which is going to tell you how to sort your finances out so we might bin off tiktok we're gonna have a chat about that next week let me ask you a little bit about the future plans for medics money and i've got an idea to pitch to you guys as well that i think you should go down but firstly let me just ask you to what's the grand vision because there's, there's two ways you could go right or may, maybe there's more but one way is that you just decide you know what we've done a pretty good job here let's start turning this into more of a lifestyle business and work out okay how can we make this so it makes us both comfortable and just keep things ticking along and another way is let's just blitz scale what's let's make 10 new channels this year and let's like dominate the world where are you guys sitting between those two extremes at the moment i don't really know where to how i guess maybe more towards the kind of the the latter end but not so much sort of new channels because as we've just as you just said we're not great on social media and i don't know what, what new channels there might be but where we are kind of focusing on at the moment is we're actually working on various sort of courses for people to help them with their financial education so at the moment, we're doing a course for new GP partners. So we've got that. But we're also looking to do online courses for GP registrars. We're going to go down the line do courses for consultants. So we're going to try and try and reach more people in different ways to try and teach them more about their tax, finances, investing, and so on by courses. So that's currently what we're doing. And because, like we said, and Tommy said, we our time is quite limited, quite precious because we're still doctors. We don't have all the time in the world. We're trying to focus on projects and then move on to the next project so at the moment that's where our, our focus is at trying to um, create some great courses for people to go on to hopefully help them with their finances so that's where we're going for now i'd say i'm not sure about any new channels otherwise and if tommy's got any thoughts on that so hopefully no more social media channels yeah i think there's a lot of kind of pressure to grow a unicorn and be a billionaire online but online social media it's not the real world 
And like, to your point about, yeah, this business has materially improved my lifestyle and we absolutely love doing it. Like we love the balance between this and medicine. But about a year ago, we were like, look, we could, we could just cruise along like we are, have a nice lifestyle business, like you said, or we could push to the next level. And I think like we are pushing to the next level. We're helping more people. We're branching out into more things. So I think one thing for me that I really want to do is I feel like we've helped quite a few doctors, but then I'm, I'm nurses are coming up to me when I'm in hospital. I'm like, oh, and so we've launched a thing for nurses as well. I think we could help all healthcare professionals with this. And really what we're saying is we're trying to fill like the advice gap, which is like what is trying to happen in medicine as well. In medicine, you've got people where they don't probably need to see a doctor, but they can't quite fix it themselves by reading nhs.com or whatever the NHS website is. It's awesome, by the way. And that's like the advice gap. The same thing exists in finance. Some people are going to listen to our podcast and be like, oh yeah, annual allowance tax. I've calculated my own, used the podcast to do it. Happy days. And some people are just going to be like, I just want an advisor to sort it out. And then in the middle, there's all these people where like, oh, I understand this, but I just need a tiny bit more help to do it. And I could probably do this myself with the right kind of guidance. And I think that middle segment is massive. And I think if we can help that middle segment, that's what we're working towards. So yeah, we're working on tons of stuff behind the scenes. And I always get frustrated by the pace because I'm really impatient. And that's why Ed is such a great business partner because he's very patient and he's like the filter. But yeah, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming down the track. Uh, most of which we're not really ready to talk about yet because we only launch it when it's ready. People are sometimes very precious around giving out content and giving stuff out freely. And sometimes people have the mindset that if I give this for free, that will demerit or that will put down the value of whatever I'm putting out. And by the way, I think that's actually a fair thing to think. If you are giving away stuff freely, people are not going to value it as much. That's just a fact. For example, any paperback that you look at, you could have a book that's from Marcus Aurelius, Meditations or something. And that is literally a conqueror telling you their inner thoughts and, and, and how they succeeded. And someone could say that's worth, that knowledge is worth a million pounds. But just the fact that it's a paperback means that it's 10 pounds and you and your head value it at that level. But the point I'm getting at is that, did you two ever have that tension or how would you respond to that feeling that ah, if you give away too much for free, you're going to really devalue when you do try and sell someone something? Yeah, we never had that tension. And I think like people in the modern age, people will not pay for information. They'll pay for implementation. So we've never held back everything and we just give out all of the best information that we can possibly muster. And really early on, I had a really com good conversation with a really well-meaning mentor and they were just like, this is not a good strategy. Like you could be monetizing this information. And my counter to them was that like, if our free content, if we, if someone can make our content for free that we're charging for, that's a disaster. And we never want that to happen. So we've just always given away absolutely everything. But to my point, some people will not be able to implement themselves that themselves. And that's no judgment on them. We all have different abilities. And so some people will pay you to implement that for them, whether they find a trusted advisor from our network of trusted advisors, or whether they come on our course. And I think the course surprised us really, because we are given implementation there and, and it's been really popular. So I think don't hold back because if you hold back and somebody else could make what you're holding back for free and give away that ton of value, you don't really have a business there, in my opinion. And I guess the other down upside to that is that we give away so much for free. So the people that do come to us for help, they really need it. So to my point about the, the value, they're, they're higher value because 
we're helping people do as much as possible themselves, like way more than anyone's ever done ever before. But those people that do need help are right at the top of the tree. They're like, this is really complicated. And we're like, yeah, you definitely need help with that. And here we go. We've got the, we've got the people that can help you. Yeah, we've never held back. We just share everything that we know. I don't think people are going to pay for information, but they will pay for implementation, definitely. Okay, let me finish off then by pitching where I think you should take Medic's money. And then maybe both of you can give me a sort of thumbs up and thumbs down, like a Simon Cowell type rating. Okay, the background of this is that I think that in when you're creating content in the space of healthcare, the easiest thing to do is just look at other industries and copy them because they'll be way ahead of us. They'll be doing stuff that's way smarter, way better. We've got that moat around healthcare where you need to have clinical training. And unfortunately, that means that our media isn't as good. But that's an opportunity for people like us. With that in mind, I think the king of this space, in my mind at least, is Ramit Sethi, who wrote the book, I Will Teach You How to Be Rich, or I Will Teach You to Be Rich, something like that. And he's just launched a Netflix show called How to Get Rich, I think, which is worth a watch. And I think a chord he hits, and I, Tommy, I've spoken to you about this before, and I think a chord that he hits that you two don't hit is that often in the world of personal finance and anything to do with self-development, so that can include exercise, diet, your image of yourself, the information is pretty obvious. We could summarize a lot of what Medics Money says to let you know earn more money than you spend. And I know there's more to it than that, but that's basically it. And if you do that, you'll basically be fine. That bit isn't actually rocket science. And more information than that can be helpful, but it may not be helpful. I think the hard bit is often like an internal emotional change, or maybe your psychology around money, right? Morgan Housel's got the really good book, Psychology of Money, which is also fun to read. So my point is that I think it'd be really cool if you guys started bringing on doctors, nurses, medical students, and just asking them about money and their situations. And I, the reason I think that would be fun is A, it's really fun to pry into people's lives if people are willing to come on. And secondly, I think people will really be able to relate to other people's stories and difficulties, and maybe that will help them with their own transformational change. So that's my pitch to you. I think that'd be a really interesting series. What do you guys think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm giving it the thumbs up. I've only got one thumb at the moment, but this one's work in progress. But look at that movement. It's amazing. So grateful to the NHS staff. I love the idea, but and we've tried to do it. And guess what? We're doctors. We don't talk about money, especially in public. No one wants to come on, but it sounds like you're volunteering to be our first guest. So I pitched this to you before and I refuse to come on. My finances are too much of a mess. And I actually thought it would do serious reputational damage. Like people would not trust me when they saw the mess of my finances. So yeah. So occasionally someone does come on. So inside our private community, which is attached to our course, everyone's happy to speak freely. And we do exactly that behind closed doors. But in public, no one or hardly anyone wants to come on and discuss their finances. Like me and my wife did it a few times. And that was really tough. And once we had uh, someone who wanted to come on, but they wanted to use a disguised voice analyzer because they didn't want their consultant colleagues to know their financial situation. And I was just like, oh, and have you seen the AI voice things? We've got mm. an AI voice thing, which reads it out in the voice of Donald Trump. It's absolutely hilarious. But <laughs> yeah, no one want to come on and do it. But I, I, I love Rami Sethi and his podcast, the way he does it is really actually quite brutal. He's definitely dishing out tough love. I don't think me and Ed would ever be that brutal. But if you want to come on and we break down your financial situation and give you some tips to improve, we will happily do it. But people don't want to do it. And what happens instead is like when I'm in hospital getting stuff done, they're like, oh, could you just, what do you think? Should I get like a lifetime ISO or should I put more in my pension? I'm like, come on the podcast. We'll do it there. No, just tell me the answer. I'm like, 
all right, cool. And they're like, you're not going to talk about this in public. Oh yeah. No, don't worry, mate. It's all good. <laughs> so yeah, I love the idea, but I, you don't want to come on and you're recommending it as an idea. <laughs> yeah. Ed, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's a good idea. And I don't know if you saw my cat appeared to uh, also say that it was a good idea as well, but <laughs> it's like Tommy says, people don't really aren't that keen to talk about their, their financial situation. We do fairly, every now and again, get people ask questions, like send us emails or whatever. And they say, this is really bad. This happened. Can you help me? Uh, and, and every now and again, we'll do like question and answer podcast where we try and yeah, use those to frame our podcast and, and give answers and try and help people out. But I know it's not quite what you're saying, but that's the nearest we've got to that. Interestingly, I've got a, a really, well, one of my closest friends, a guy called John, he is not so much his finances are a disaster, but his, his tax is always an absolute disaster. And he said, oh, you should make a podcast about all that. And I'm like, oh, come on it. But you never know. I might be able to get him to, to come on a podcast <laughs> at some point. But I don't know if that was, if that's an accurate position, whether he actually would come on when I ask him. So we'll see. Watch this space. <laughs> yeah, I think if I come on, it'll turn this into a channel for poverty porn type situation. So we'll leave that to it. But yeah, no, finally, just want to say you guys have done so phenomenally well. And I've really watched from afar and admired as the notification pings on my phone that a new podcast is out and I immediately want to click it. And I've been thinking, damn, like, how do they do that? And I think we've talked about some of those, the, the methods to the madness. Was there anything else that you guys wanted to, to say or wrap up? No, from my point of view, check out Musty's podcast, Big Picture Medicine. His production quality is way better than us. He's way better <laughs> at asking like relevant interview questions than us. He also says a lot less than I do. But really, <laughs> going back to what I said at the start, this really did just start with me and Ed in my garage and a microphone on a mission to help doctors and other healthcare professionals improve their finances. We're not marketing geniuses, but thanks to people like you that are hopefully still listening to this, sharing it, it's grown and we've that's enabled us to help so many people. It's, we've gone viral without ever going viral on social media. We've just gone viral with people like wandering down the corridor going, oh, I got this, I got 40% tax off back off my extortion at World College exams using Medics Money. They're like, oh, nice one, mate. Where's the website? So if you've ever shared Medics Money, this success is yours, not really ours. And we're super grateful for it. And let's push on. Two million downloads coming up. Let's do it. Like, where's it going to end? <laughs> awesome, guys. This was This was really good. It's really rare to speak. There's not that many sort of content people in the space, but then also the people who've done. So it's, it's good to get into the mind of that. And I think the fundamental thing I take away is that, yeah, it's, there's, there's not that much method to the madness. There's a lot of just grind and actually just working on a problem that actually matters to people. And there's this basic human psychology of like actually helping people and you'll do well. So that's, that's good to see. Yeah, I think a lot of people overthink it. Like I said, they read so many books, they listen to so many podcasts. You just got to start taking action. And I realize the irony of that because... I basically sat on the idea of Medics Money for about three years because I just did not want to, I just didn't want to do it. And I just thought I could never do it. And then I was doing it. I tried to shut it down. It wouldn't die. And then I met Ed and we were like, literally, we, we met in a pub and we we're like, oh, are we really going to do this? And we we're like, let's give it a go. There's our targets. And so, yeah, I think don't listen to any more podcasts. Just start taking action. Just start. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool, man. <laughs>